So, uh, mm-hmm. so political question for you, be honest, who would you rather be president, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or Wolverine? Why Wolverine? Is it, you have to like, give me some type of context for why Wolverine. Since when do you need context uh, for anything? I mean, uh, who, would, who would make a better president, Wolverine or, or any of those two? So you're saying Hugh Jackman? <laughs> no, I'm saying the character Wolverine. Wolverine's just like a really short Trump with no claws and not fat. So, <laughs> well, it sounds like, like a better, a better version yeah, of Trump yeah. then. <laughs> Maybe Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. It's like Trump two, <laughs> Trump 2.0. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you know that uh, Hugh Jackman has a wife that's a lot older than him? Really, he's already pretty old, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But his his wife is a lot older than him. I was uh, I was surprised to find out because he's jacked. Yeah, and he's huge. Huge, huge Jackman. Oh, he, double he's punch! A really huge Jackman. Huge jacked man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure so that's gotta be that's gotta be be a meme. Yeah, or, yeah. That's or yeah, it's just to Google it really fast. It's worth yeah. it. I think it's worth huge Google. jacked uh, man. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's a thing. Is it? That sucks. The thing is, Wolverine's not supposed to be huge, right? No, he's not. Well, he's he's stocky. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, that's he's supposed to be thing. like like me around. I think. Yeah, exactly. And he's uh, he's 55 or something, something like that. So huh. uh, so I wasn't really happy when, when Hugh Jackman was, was chosen to be uh, to be Wolverine. There's a little Jackman right there. Hi, <laughs> um, yeah, when I, when I typed in Hugh Jackman, uh, I found something that's worth sharing on the chat that you could uh, maybe play if this ever goes up on YouTube. Is that okay? It won't, but... It won't? Okay. Well, at least you could see it. Or just do it later. <laughs> no, no, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Why would you want to be that big? Like, what is it? What does that help you with at all? They're fucking huge. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you cannot lift your arms normally. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't even pick up a bar of soap. Yeah, Jesus. Hey, but wait, maybe that's it. Maybe they're so homophobic that they need an excuse not to pick up the soap in the shower yeah yeah yeah. i think that's it uh, uh okay so what are we doing today nickels. uh we're talking about our favorite three inventions or something of korean kind. inventions yep yes no uh, inventions in general i'll start it off this time my uh number three have you have you ever used viagra uh, yeah, I have in high school, and I had to stay home. <laughs> it would, it just wouldn't Why go down. Why did it make you and, sick? Uh, no, it just gave me a boner that wouldn't go away, and uh, like I had to tell my mom, and it was really embarrassing, and it really hurt. You know, like you've ever gotten blue balls, like you know where? Yeah, yeah I know. What yeah, you yeah. But it was like blue dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you told the your blue mom pill. you had blue dick. Yeah, <laughs> blue dick from blue. Wow, pill. so you had erectile dysfunction in in high school. That's that's pretty <laughs> early to set on. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. There's some rumor going around in Japan that I have erectile dysfunction. Like, some, <laughs> wait, what? Some, I don't know why. Some guy found it on a website and told me. Is this is this me. on the uh, on the reptile reptilian? No, website? it's a whole different. This is a completely different one. How do you think that came into being? That rumor. Um, maybe because I said my testosterone was low like a couple of years ago and I'm sure somebody just like morphed it into me not being able to get bonus. Yeah, because risk factors for erectile dysfunction are diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, high cholesterol, chronic alcohol or drug abuse. Do you know, do you know what their, uh, their commercial should be after they say that? It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but wait, wait, wait. These are not the uh, th- these are the risk factors for 
erectile dysfunction. These are not the risk factors for taking uh, sildenafil, which is the, the official name of, of Viagra, because uh, the, the side effects are, amongst others, headaches, flushing, heartburn, vision problems, a blue-green tinge to your vision, uh, nausea and dizziness. Those are the, the, uh, the, some of these side effects. Um, so erectile dysfunction, or the inability to achieve and maintain an erect penis for sexual function, can lead to performance anxiety, a negative impact on self-esteem and personal relationships, and even clinical depression. How do you feel after your um, after your inability to achieve and maintain an erect penis for sexual function? Um, how did it feel? Yeah, I can imagine being depressed. Shit, dude, that that would suck. Now it I'm would. saying it like I'm like trying to defend myself. Yeah, like, yeah, dude, no, no. Like it's, it sounds happen. also you're 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 taking a certain distance from this now. Yeah, yeah. When I had like that year where I was dieting too hard and uh-huh. working out too much, and I messed up my testosterone, I remember being like depressed and shit though. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Uh, well, one of the reasons I chose this as my number three is that it wasn't originally developed as a medicine for erectile dysfunction. Uh, it was developed by Pfizer for the treatment of hypertension and, uh, and angina pectoris, so chest pain due to heart disease. Huh. And they did heart clinical trials and they discovered that the drug was more effective at erecting penises than treating angina. Than so, treating manginas? <laughs> well, it, it, it's very uh, very effective in treating manginas. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny to see how these experiments with a certain goal can have very different results. The, many of the, the medicines or drugs like LSD, for example, um, were invented just like this, where they were trying to find something else and they came up yeah. with something completely different. Yeah. And another reason I chose this as my number three was the way it was marketed because erectile dysfunction before the invention of Viagra wasn't a thing. Huh. In the sense that it it was a symptom of other diseases. It wasn't a thing by itself. But once they came up with Viagra, they needed a way to market it. So they started marketing it for uh, a new disease called erectile dysfunction. This was just by itself, not 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 as a as a symptom of something else. Huh. If you do take it and you uh, you have sudden hearing or vision loss, you should report to your healthcare provider immediately. Also, Probably an erection lasting more than four hours, which they call a priapism, is a rare event. Really? But if it occurs, metal ban. A priapism, yeah, yo, Priapism. If it occurs, get emergency treatment right away. Did yours last for more than four hours? I don't remember, but it felt like it was for more than four hours. Yeah, in my memory, it does feel like that, but maybe it wasn't. Did you see a doctor? Uh, I think we called the doctor. Okay. Well, also be careful. Last thing I want to say about Viagra. Do you know what the doctor said? What did the doctor say? Why did you take Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> when you're 16? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, also be careful with uh, fake Viagra that they, they uh, try to sell you online because amongst other things, the chemicals that have been found in this are printer ink and binding agents such as drywall. <laughs> that sounds like it's really good for you. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. It's good for something. Well, I'd use it for my printer because fucking printering just does not last and it's so fucking expensive. Man. Yeah, yeah, you better use that. Viagra, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so should we go to my number three? This will be a short one as there's not that much uh, info on it. But, um, you know, there's like a big robot boom in like the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, right? You know, like in like sci-fi. And yeah. In the future, there'll be robots helping people and stuff. Well, anyway, in the 1960s, there was a surge in guys inventing robots. This guy, Klaus Schultz from uh, 
Germany. He's a Viennese inventor. Vienna. Okay, so he's an Austrian. He invented what was called a phone answering robot, which okay. is basically a robot that's the size of a human being, mm-hmm. um, or like the torso of a human being that you put next to the phone, and when the phone rings, it takes the phone and picks it up. Yeah. And this was supposed to be this big thing, except that was the only thing that it could do. <laughs> so there, there was no answering machine and it couldn't answer the phone. All it could do was pick it up and then it could put it back down. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so wait, so when you're, when you're not at home, the robot will pick up the phone and put it back down again. Yeah. 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 Which is basically the same thing as just letting it ring out. <laughs> wow. No, it's more confusing because people think, why is he hanging yeah, up on me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have much like of a better chance of keeping a relationship by at least yeah letting it ring out. <laughs> this was not a big hit. No, no, I don't even think it went into production. Huh. And it, yeah, yeah, it just looked really cool. You think they would have thought of, I guess, you know, they didn't have audio recording devices to even record and, you know, an answering. Yeah. That would be an interesting invention to check out. I should have. Yeah, you should have chosen out. that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Answering machine. But uh, yeah, so that is my number three. So my number two is the space pen. During the height of the space race in in the 1960s, uh, legend has it that NASA scientists realized that pens could not function in space. So they needed to figure out another way for astronauts to write things down. Uh, So they spent years and millions of taxpayer dollars to develop a pen that could put ink to paper without gravity. But their, uh, their crafty Soviet counterparts, the Russians, uh, so the story goes, simply gave their, their astronauts pencils. Huh. So this is a story that is not true. Okay. Um, it's, it's, but, but this is a story that, that even made its way onto uh, an episode of West Wing. Huh. Uh, it's, it's a famous myth, uh, but it is just a myth because that's, that's not the way it actually happened. And there, there's a reason, though, why people think uh, this happened because uh, in the beginning, NASA astronauts like the, uh, the Soviet cosmonauts used uh, pencils and NASA actually ordered 34 mechanical pencils from Houston's Ticam Engineering Manufacturing in 1965, and they paid over $4,000 uh, for these 34 pencils, which comes down to about like 130 bucks per pencil. Wow. So Holy when shit. these uh, $4,000 in 1965 was a lot of money. That is. That is. So $4,000 of taxpayers' money used on pencils. This, uh, there was a public outcry and uh, NASA quickly tried to find something cheaper. Pencils were not a good choice anyway because, you know, the tips of pencils, they flake, they break off. You don't really want pencil tips drifting around in the cabin uh, because they can harm crew members or equipment. And pencils are flammable, <laughs> which yeah, is another yeah. good reason not to use them in space. Yeah, yeah. Um, so along came is the graphite. Graphite's flammable. Well, pencils in general. So not not wood. the yeah, they're they're wood exactly. So so not the tips. The tips can get stuck in in uh, equipment, but then yeah, the pencils themselves are flammable. And they had I think it was uh what was it Apollo one had uh, a fire on board. So so after that they thought yeah, probably not good to have anything flammable on board. So along came Paul C. Fisher and his company, the Fisher Pen Company, and he says he invested a million dollars to create what we now know as the space pen. And actually none of this budget came from, or none of this money uh, came from NASA. 
So he, uh, he patented a space pen in 1965 that could write upside down in extreme cold or hot conditions and even underwater. Interesting. Uh, gravity doesn't push the, uh, the ink out. It's, it's pressurized nitrogen uh, in the so cartridges. Oh, so there's cartridge. Okay. Yeah, there's cartridges. Uh, and, and the Have nitrogen. you ever used a space pen? No, but you can buy them online. They're about, I think they're about like $30. You can buy them on Amazon. Okay. You can buy so they're the still official. pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretty expensive, but they're not like, you know, a thousand bucks. And there's a lot of, you know, luxury pens out there that cost a lot more than, than 30 bucks. Mm. So in, in, in 1968, eventually NASA ordered 400 of these, uh, of these pens for the Apollo uh -huh. program. And a year later, the Soviet Union uh, ordered uh, another 100 pens and 1,000 cartridges to use on the Soyuz space missions. And both huh. NASA and the Soviet Space Agency received the same 40% discount for buying their pens in bulk. And they paid about two thirty-nine per pen. So $2.39 huh. is, is pretty good. Um, is so pretty fucking good. Jesus. Yeah, and, and the space pen didn't just allow them to ride in space. Actually, uh, the Apollo 11 astronauts also used the pen to fix a broken arming switch on their, on their craft, making them able to return to Earth. Huh. So just always keep a space pen with you yeah, when you're in space. Interesting. I mean, I'd heard the name space pen, but I never knew what it was. Yeah, no, so the, the, people love this story of the Russians just using pencils and... and not spending all this money on on uh, wasting all this money on on an invention that you don't really need just kind of thinking outside of the box but but yeah, it's yeah. not true it's, huh. it's just a myth what's your number two my number two is franz i don't know how to say it it's a french name but it's reichelt r-e-i-c-h-e-l-t yeah richet franz richet have you ever heard of him no i have not so he was another Austrian-born inventor, uh, a little bit before the robot guy. And he's known not really for his invention, but um, basically what he did was in 1912, he was a tailor. So he wasn't an inventor, but he invented basically flying clothes. So if you look it up on the internet, I mean, you can look it up yourself. Wait, hang on. It's, flying clothes? Yeah. So you could jump from a really high... Yeah, building. yeah, no, it sounds like the clothes are flying by themselves. No, 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 no. Like it's kind of, you know, kind of like a cape with a really boxy hood on it. And you basically huh. just kind of glide like a bird. Yeah. He had designed this for like a couple of years. He called the French authorities in Paris. You know, he wasn't <laughs> French, but he said, I'd like to test some dummies yeah. on the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wearing these clothes. That's and amazing. the authorities were like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So it's... Uh, February 4th, 1912, in the morning, you know, the authorities and the media and everybody gets there. And there's no dummy on top of the Eiffel Tower. It's him himself. <laughs> <laughs> he had no ropes. He didn't want to use any ropes. And his, he had some friends yeah, why and they were like, you? you know, it's pretty windy today. We really don't think you should do this. And he said, I want to try the experiment. Uh, experiment Sorry, I'm fucking stuttering. <laughs> I want to try the experiment myself and without trickery, as I intend to prove the worth of my invention, is what he told the journalists. Yeah. So, yeah, it's basically like a cloak, a really boxy cloak, right? Yeah. Anyway, he adjusted his suit around 8.22 p.m., uh -huh. threw a little piece wait, of wait, paper wait, can off. Can you tell me what, what year did, what, what year did uh, Franz uh, Richet die? Uh, 1912. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 1912, February 4th, that same day. He, <laughs> that's he amazing. jumped that's, off that's... the Eiffel Tower and just 
just fell like you're wearing normal clothes. <laughs> like it was <laughs> no different than you jumping off the Eiffel Tower. And you can see videos of it on YouTube. He basically oh, just God. splat. And uh, luckily, you don't get to see what he looked like. No, but there are photos of what the uh, what the suit looked like after he jumped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could see the video of him. But there was an April 1912 issue of some magazine called Popular Mechanics. And it said his body was a shapeless mass when the police picked him up. Oh, and the God. tailor was dead by the time onlookers reached him. Do you, do you know if you ever tried it out from, from like a lower <laughs> lower place? Yeah, like, a, like from a ladder sure, or something, man. the roof? I don't know. But the video is really funny because I kind of, ex I mean, it's not really funny. But it, I, I expected it to like at least glide or something but it <laughs> looks just like well it just looks like a rock yeah yeah <laughs> there's there's, oh, there's no no flying that went on in this experiment at all so yeah oh god yeah um okay my number one is champagne oh that's a good one you have heard of the name dom perignon yes they have and according to legend when he first tasted champagne he said come for i am drinking stars that's fucking so legendary. It's according to legend, but probably he never he never said such a thing. Um, are, are Drinking you, stars, that's amazing. Are you a champagne drinker? Uh, I don't really know if I've actually ever drinking champagne because champagne has to be from a certain region, right? Exactly, from the champagne region. It is actually illegal in Europe and in a lot of other countries to label any product champagne unless it came from the champagne wine region of France. Yes. Yes. And I was asking because you are very aware of how much calories is in anything being a huge jack man. But yes, um, Brut Nature, which is a champagne that doesn't uh, where they don't add any extra sugars. This actually has uh, the lowest calorie of any alcoholic drink. And really? Yeah. I, Wait, I, what's I, it called? How do you uh, spell Brut, it? No. Brut Nature. B-R-U-T. And mm -hmm. then nature, basically. Huh. So my friend went on a champagne diet and lost about 30 pounds in, in three years time. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> so the sparkling version of the champagne wine was discovered by accident, actually, because the wine growers uh, from the champagne region were trying to make good wines equal to the ones from, from Burgundy. But because of the cold winters in the, uh, in the champagne region, because it's pretty high up in the mountains, they did not succeed. Because the cold winters caused the, the fermentation of the wine, uh, which were lying in the cellars uh, fermenting, to stop in winter. Huh. And then uh, in, in spring, when it got warmer again, the sleeping yeast cells would awake and started fermenting again. And this caused the release of carbon dioxide gas coming from the wine in the bottle. So at first, the, the bottles were really weak and they exploded. But the few that did survive contained sparkling wine. So at first, the, the winemakers were not happy with this because uh, cellar workers actually had to wear heavy iron masks to prevent injury from exploding bottles. And- Fuck, because it's glass, right? It's glass, yeah. And if one bottle Shit. exploded, this usually uh, uh, caused a chain reaction. So if one bottle exploded, usually half of your cellar would explode, basically. Fuck, man, that's crazy. And they didn't fully understand this process of, of fermentation and, and carbonic gas. So uh, some people called champagne the devil's wine. Oof. So what they did is, uh, so, so there's this story about Dom Perignon being the man that invented champagne. This is not true because he actually was sent to the champagne region to try to eliminate the bubbles in the wine because the, huh. the bottles would break so often. 
That's so interesting, geez. But actually, people people did like this sparkling wine. So instead of eliminating these uh, these bubbles from the wine, Dom Perignon started producing wines, and he started basically researching a way to to control the fermentation. Wow! So he is the founder of the the champagne as we know it now because he he made it possible to control this this method. It just wasn't really on purpose in the beginning, basically. In the beginning, no. It, it's just like Viagra. Champagne is, it was just like Viagra. Okay. Um, so how do they produce it? There's the traditional method of champagne production after the first fermentation and bottling. The second fermentation takes place. Uh, so the second fermentation is started by adding several grams of uh, yeast and rock sugar to the bottle. Huh. And the complete process for for making a, a bottle of uh, champagne is uh, it takes one and a half years. Wow! And and for years when when the harvest is exceptional, some champagne will be made from and labeled as the product of a of a single vintage and not a blend because most champagnes are blends of of multiple years of harvests. When the vintage is especially good, they um, they they have to let it mature for three years at least, and then. Uh, you, you can recognize these bottles because they don't put a cork in it. They put a crown cap on it, like uh, like beer bottles. Okay. So after aging... That'd be a good invention too, huh? The crown cap? Yeah. I, I think we'll have to do a, a part two of, uh, of, of, yeah. of this uh, this topic maybe. But so after aging, the, the bottle is uh, manipulated in a process that they call uh, riddling. So they, they want to take over all the lees, so, so all the leftover yeast and sugar from the bottle. So what they do is they freeze the bottle upside down. They take the cork out. And because it's upside down, all the, the leftover yeast and sugar, they, they settle at the, uh, at the bottom then, or at the top, if you will, in the neck. So they take out just the, uh, the, the frozen champagne at the top of the bottle. So they take out all the leftover uh, yeah, stuff that you don't want in the champagne. And then they fill it back up with, yeah, so some extra champagne and, and in some cases some extra sugar uh, if you, if you want to make the champagne a little, uh, a little sweeter. Then there, there's one last thing I'm going to say about champagne. It's not so much about champagne as it is about just fizzy drinks in general. Do you know why Coke, for example, fizzes so much when you pour it? Why? It's because, uh, especially if you pour it in a, into a dry glass or, or over ice, there are imperfections in the glass and fibers left over from wiping. This causes uh, something that's called nucleation, the carbonic acid. Uh, it binds to these imperfections in the glass and it, it starts creating bubbles. How do, you not, how do you make it so that doesn't happen? This, this happens more if the glass is dry. So if the glass is not dry, this is uh, easier to, to avoid. But actually, if you like this, because some people like this in champagne for it to, to keep uh, fizzing, you can do something about it. You can have your glass etched. They use acid or, or a laser or a glass etching tool. Huh. They can etch it in a way that, that actually the, the bubble formation is continuous. Very interesting. And you lose all the gas in your drink. So I, I don't know why people would like that. Yeah, I don't know why they'd like that either. Huh. Yeah, so if you don't like fizz, just bring your own etched glass to a party. Yeah, etched glass, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so what is uh, your so number one? My number one, so this is actually two. I know you're not really allowed to do this, but they're both World War II inventions. Okay. And I thought they kind of go good together, so I made two. So the first one is basically considered to be the first intercontinental weapon. A what weapon? What? Intercontinental. Oh, the V2? So, no, it's not the V2. So in 1944, Japan was trying to think of ways to hit America from far away. Do you, yeah. you might know about this. Do you, do you I, know I've heard Japanese? of the Second World War, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So what Japan did was they, you know, like, have you ever been to, do you know, like, uh, Chulching? They are basically paper balloons. You see them uh -huh. in Japan a lot. Yeah. They had in Japan for a long time. It's just yeah. as opposed to rubber, basically. Between April, uh, uh, November 1944 and April 1945. A bit Japan, late, one would say. Yeah, yeah, a, a bit, bit late. late. November 3rd, 1944 and April 1945, Japan released a thousand paper balloons with bombs inside of them. Inside of them? Yeah. And the balloons were to ride the wind systems, you know, over the ocean. That sounds pretty reach, epic, actually. To reach America. Yeah, yeah, it does sound pretty epic. That's another interpretation of kamikaze. Yeah, 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 it is. Actually, and after the war, they admitted to releasing 9,000. Uh, what, they they were not they, one to brag while they were doing it. They weren't. And uh, they didn't work too well, it seems. Out of all of those 9,000, basically one is only responsible for a casualty. And it was an organ in some forest. A pregnant woman with her five kids were walking in the forest and just see this paper balloon floating there. And they start playing with it and it explodes and they all die. Jesus. Yeah, which is pretty Well, that's crazy, not yeah. one casualty. That's in, in, yeah. technically four. Yeah, yeah. But out of thousands of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. the first one. And it's basically known to be the first inter intercontinental weapon. Wow. Wait, wait, but wait, wait, wait. wasn't the, the V2, uh, was, it, was it the V2 that was the V2 rocket that was I don't know. able to... Maybe that came after, but this is considered to be the first... Well, the maximum speed, the warhead propellant, uh, operational range was 320 kilometers. I guess that's not really intercontinental. Yeah, huh? yes. So another one is, this is on the American side. So right after Pearl Harbor, there was a Dennis named, I guess, Mr. Dennis Adams. I was going to make a really uh, stupid dad joke about a dentist called Dennis, but then... No, no, it wasn't. his name wasn't Dennis, but his name was, you know, Mr. Adams. It was like little S Adams or something. Okay. He saw Pearl Harbor and he was like, you know, screw these Japanese people. And he contacted the American government. He called the American government and On said, I have an, I, yeah. Well, this, said, this was the forties. So there was probably a one phone number that you could call the government on. Yeah. Yeah. And he had an idea. So he calls the government and he says, uh, I have this really great idea to attack Japan. We, we the put them all in camps. Yeah, well, they, that was the Japanese in America. But his was, and this was retaliation for Pearl Harbor, basically. And his yeah. idea was, let's connect a bunch of little bombs to bats. So incendiary bombs, wow. like bombs that set fires. Wow. Which, so there'll be one big bomb filled uh -huh. with like a thousand bats with little fire bombs connected to them, they'll drop them over Tokyo and they'll fly into houses, like into attics and then explode and light everything on fire. But wait, uh, wouldn't the big bomb just kill all the bats inside? Well, let's see what happens. Oh, so it's like a so, pinata basically. Yeah, yeah, it's like a pinata. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't explode. Oh yeah. What do you think the government's reaction to this was? Um, this is a great idea. So, yeah, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> let's do so this. They, they immediately gathered $2 million. <laughs> Went and they did some tests in Mexico with Mexican free tailed bats. Okay. Where they actually did end up connecting bombs to the bats. Yeah. Um, it was basically like napalm. They tested them out in Mexico, but 
the bats escaped prematurely and just flew into the army general's car <laughs> and, and blew it up. <laughs> and then, this is not a real story. <laughs> this is a real story. <laughs> and then uh, oh my God. they actually did 30 demonstrations, the Marine Corps. Like how, how is there not I mean, a movie about this yet? I, I know there needs to be. There needs to yeah. be a movie. Uh, eventually, the program was basically canceled, and they decided to use the atomic bomb. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude! Can you call Hollywood, please? Yeah, I'm sure they'll say, "Yeah, this is a great." The funniest part. Yeah, about they'll, they'll gather like, two million dollars straight away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that the government was like, "Yeah, that sounds really great." Yeah, let's try that. <laughs> well, yeah. they they were at wit's end, I, I imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, the atomic bomb wasn't actually, when you think about it, much of an improvement. No, no, it was not. <laughs> it was not much of an improvement, especially oh humane-wise. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Well, I, I, I guess they killed less bats with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the only good thing that came about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Well, I, I think we did a pretty good job today. Yeah, yeah, we did. I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, yours were pretty serious, right? I, I am not a professional comedian, as you can tell. Uh, neither am I. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, people came in and. Bud, uh, yeah. What are you up to today? Uh, not much. Getting my toilet, getting a new toilet. Our toilet broke. So it broke. What did you do to it? I don't know, dude. It's so annoying. They, you know, they make everything now so that it breaks after like fifteen or twenty years. But uh, have you? Did you ever hear about that dude who sued? I was gonna say Star Wars. Who sued Starbucks because he got his dick caught? Uh, between the toilet and the lid the bowl no. and the lid <laughs> no i didn't that sounds <laughs> yeah. like it would hurt especially if you sat on it you must have had a big one too yeah but just think about it how would you go about actually doing that i don't know even if you try so he I mean, must have been on his knees in front of the bowl and then oh but he hung... could have been sitting down dude oh no 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 he couldn't no, but then he <laughs> hung his he hung his dick over the bowl like he put it on the bowl and then the 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 seat dropped yeah, I guess big dick problems, dude. Big dick problems. Yeah. So that's not how you broke your toilet. Well, it's not how he broke his yeah. dick. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I All almost right, did with that Viagra, though. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll talk to you next time, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy. Bye. Bye.